Well, um, I also wanted to take a moment and uh, let you know about some exciting things that are happening. Not that that's not exciting. It's tremendously exciting. But uh, what also is exciting in this little church, <clears throat> we have the opportunity, and the Lord has been bringing opportunities to us to really uh, just learn and, 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 and bring in voices and people that have a very powerful uh, anointing on their lives. You know, a little bit about this time last year, I believe it was um, Missy Edwards that came into town. And uh, next week, we're going to have another guest uh, who's going to come. His name is Dave Wagner. Uh, not sure if anyone heard of him before, but he's a, a pretty big name. Um, you know, he runs with like the, kind of the Bill Johnson, Bethel crowd. Um, he is a, uh, a man from Tennessee. He's got like four or five kids. He seems like a really sweet guy. Uh, but he has a prophetic anointing and call on his life. And so he's coming into town to, uh, to do a conference with uh, Philadelphia Tabernacle of David and Heart of David and all these kind of things. And so he, uh, he wants to come to church on Sunday and just release prophetic teaching and prophetic words over the church. What I mean by this, I mean like old school Pentecostal guys. <clears throat> I mean like there's like a traveling preacher just coming in and there's a good chance that he's just going to lay hands on every single person in here if you so want to just receive a prophetic word from the Lord. I would not usually just do this, but this is a guy who has the backing of my brother-in-law, who also has the backing of Rick Pino, who also has the backing of Bill Johnson, also has the backing of International House of Prayer and Mike Bickle. We're talking about like mega, mega, major ministries. Invite this guy to come out. <clears throat> and he's coming here. Because he hears what the Lord is doing in the Philadelphia region and he's coming in. So we should be having some guests next week. It's going to be different, I, I surmise. You may, you may have never have experienced something like this. Some of us have. Like, it could well, very well be at the end of the service. Like, anyone who wants prayer to receive some prophetic words from the Lord, come on now. We get, like, the old aisles going and just pray. <clears throat> so because of that, we're going to do a couple things. One, we are going to start on time at 10 o'clock on the dot. Countdown is at 9.55, 10 o'clock we're going. Get here, rush in to come into the house of the Lord and to you know, receive word from someone who's, who has got a gifting of prophecy on their life. So we're going to start at 10 o'clock on the dot. The other thing is this guy is not asking for money, uh, but we want to bless him with money. And uh, there's an opportunity, and the reason I, I, I'm talking is because there's an, opp an opportunity to learn about the notions of sowing and reaping. Okay. If you put corn kernels or corn seeds into the ground, you're going to get corn, right? If you put broccoli in, you're going to get broccoli. If you're going to put carrots in, you get carrots, hopefully, unless it's me and last year with horseradish, if you guys remember that story. <laughs> I put carrot seeds in, but it turns out to actually be horseradish seeds. I got over 30 pounds of horseradish. I called up burpees, and they're like, oh, this has never happened before. I'm like, well, it just happened. <clears throat> Here's the reality, guys. If we sow... Words of discontent, we get words of discontent towards us. If you sow into the atmosphere words of depression and anxiety and angst, that's what you're going to get in your life. And the same thing happens with your piggy bank. I don't think I've ever spoken like this over the finances of this church. I always give it to Bill to do. But I want you to hear it from your pastor. We really need to sow into the ministry that's happening here. Right? Yeah, we have things like Ricky roofs, which are going to cost approximately fifty dollars to $80,000. And we do not have the money for that. We have a carpet that is kind of getting beat up, and it you know, costs about $20,000 to get that done. And we don't have money for that yet. 
But the board, we've been praying in faith that the Lord is going to bring forth the money that he, that he needs. Because what the Lord calls, he funds. The question is, do you believe that the Lord has called this church to exist? Then he's going to bring the funds. And what I want us to do, and there's no pressure, I just want to encourage you. <clears throat> this week and surely next week, I'm asking for you to go before the Lord and just say, Lord, I, I, am I called to sow into what this man is going to be bringing next week? Maybe we have an opportunity here if we're just like, oh, cool, this guy's coming. I believe if that's our heart, we're just going to get like a uh, kind of experience next week. In the spirit, I think if we're excited, we're saying, I'm going to sow into and believe physically with my money and also spiritually with my mind that this man is going to come with the word from the Lord that's going to change the trajectory and the positioning of me, us, we as a community, you as an individual, and we put our money where our mouth is. That's hard to do when times are tough. But nah, I don't know how many years I've been here, I've never spoken this openly about tithes and offerings. But I'm doing it today because I, I just believe in the Spirit that next week is an appointed time. It's not going to be just like another Sunday. Someone's going to come and he's going to release <clears throat> a word for you, Amen. for us. And I'm not going to take the money. The church isn't going to take the money. We're just going to give this money to bless this man. So if something that you want to do, you can put money in an envelope or on a check. Just write Dave. On, Dave don't write Dave because you think it's me. Dave Wagner, W-A-G-N-E-R. If you want to sow into that experience. I just think it's very important for us to do so. So next week, man. Believe this week for it. On Wednesday night, we're going to be praying, praying, praying for the, the Holy Ghost glory cloud to show up. <coughs> um, so yes, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in this small little church. And we thank you for it. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your direction, your wisdom, Lord. And we just commit these funds to you. But Lord, we commit them with thanksgiving because we know you can multiply our widow's might. We know that you can multiply the tithes that are in. You multiply when we come with a spirit and a voice of thanksgiving. So Lord, we just sow in the spirit and we sow in the physical. We say, Lord, we're, we're giving you our best seed. We're not giving you a horseradish seed. We're giving you something that is worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right. You guys can head out and <clears throat> collect that. would be great. Sure. It's funny. Some of us have gotten like completely burned out from it. Either you never hear about tithe and offering or you're like me growing up and you heard about it every week and you're just like, all right. I got it. <clears throat> but tithe and offering teaches being done in the right way or is very important because it remo removes the uh, notion of the poverty spirit which can emerge in people. And as we were talking about maybe last week or two weeks ago, you know, the, the spirit of poverty has, has really nothing to do with, with actual wealth. It has everything to do with your limit on thanksgiving. 
is what we were talking about. All right, so I may be coughing a little bit during this, but you just got to deal with it, all right? <clears throat> be gracious. All right, so for uh, those of us uh, who are visiting, uh, we are on a journey of uh, a sermon series on the times and lives of Jesus. It's looking at the Gospels, <clears throat> looking at the stories with some kind of contextual understanding so that we can dive in deeper and have a better understanding of what it was really like to be a disciple of Jesus and what's going on. So it's like looking at the Gospels but going deeper into the fundamental truths that are happening at the time. So we're going to like actually go back a little bit in our timeline. We're going to go back to a story in Mark chapter 4. We actually kind of stepped over this story because the Lord was leading us some other things, but it's okay. Things don't have to be so linear. Uh, but we go back to uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This famous story of the disciples uh, being on the Sea of Galilee. and The winds and the waves come. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says it like this. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had let the multitude, or left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey? <clears throat> Who here has gone through an experience with, you know, you got some winds and waves coming at you? Wow, only half of us. That's awesome. Okay? I got to find out what you've been doing. What you've been eating, your Wheaties or whatever, how you pray. Because I got winds and waves all the time. I got winds and waves right now. I can barely breathe out of my nose. You're crying out loud. <clears throat> Wind and wave, I mean, it's a blessing. But now I found out that I'm going to be uh, the father of a third baby girl, for those of you that are not on Facebook. Man, you know, I'm not going to prophesy you know, negativity, but... I'm a little outnumbered, and I'm going to be even more outnumbered. And there's weddings, and there's all that kind of stuff, right? All right, no, that's joking aside, right? What we have here is this. Come on, I mean, I'm just being real. I mean, I got winds and waves in my life all the time uh, that, that happen. And, you know, looking at this story, you know, there's two different perspectives of how to look at it. Jesus says, how can this be that you have such little faith? And, you know, the question or the way that I've always understood it is like, yeah, like, dude, how come you don't have faith? I mean, the disciples could have just prayed away the winds and the waves. I don't know if anyone has ever looked at that story that way, but that's the way I've looked at it. Has anyone looked at it that way? Maybe it's not been the dominant view, but that was really the dominant view. Like, yeah, man, come on, you should, you should be able to pray that away, but maybe, maybe not. Uh, but that one perspective is like, come on, the winds and waves come, you should be able to pray it away. Jesus is, right? But I was looking at this and kind of just meditating on this, and I felt like the Lord was just saying, but there's another lesson here of perspective. And that is, Jesus, while this is happening, while the winds and the waves are there, what is Jesus' first response? Just asleep. Yep. 
and to be calm. It's not even like he's awoken. He's like, oh, I better calm these winds and waves. His first response in the trial and the difficulty is, eh. And I was sort of thinking, I was like, well, is this actually the thing that Jesus was talking about with the faith? Maybe it's not, how come you don't have the faith to calm the winds of the wave? How come you don't have the faith to just be chill during the winds and waves? Because Jesus' first response is not, let me calm the winds and waves. His first response is, I'm just going to keep resting. Sorry, I just got to bite this cough drop because it's not going to work. We keep it real here. So what can the winds and the waves of this story, and really what can the winds and the waves of your life and circumstances, what can it teach you? Disciples, it taught them panic. They went and they were panic. They were afraid. But Jesus was calm. So the winds and the waves of life can teach you different things. It can teach you how to be calm or it can teach you how to panic. And I, as a human being, I have a tendency to panic. Now, all of this is coming out of uh, John. You're, you, Jonathan, you might like this. I always throw Jonathan into it. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> there are a couple of uh, books that I've been uh, wrestling with lately. Now, they're bringing forth some very interesting ideas about humanity and about Americans. So one on the left uh, was written by economist Nassim Taleb. Uh, he writes a book called Anti-Fragile. Things that, that gain from disorder. Uh, and the other book that I've been uh, reading and thinking about is a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. How good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. So, what am I getting at here? Don't worry, it's all going to come together. This is the social studies teacher in me. Antifragile is a book that is written that is saying that actually <clears throat> we as a society, and particularly parents, are overprotective. We're overprotective and well-meaning by it, but it produces something. It produces a kid that's not anti-fragile. It produces a kid that is completely fragile. Saying that actually children are tremendously anti-fragile, meaning like they're not going to get hurt. We don't even know this physically. If a kid breaks a bone, it repairs a lot quicker than an adult. It seems to me that the Lord has built children to be highly, highly resilient. But we, well-meaning parents, we have a tendency to overprotect, and we're not allowing the anti-fragility to emerge in the child. And so what he claims, he's not even a believer, but what he claims is by doing this, it's creating physically and spiritually weak character children. Well, the right, the colleague of the American mind, goes on to say that this kind of thinking has now transpired and has moved its way into public education and college campuses. Anyone who uh, is watching the news, have you ever heard of things called safe places and trigger warnings on college campuses? What this is, is like literally on a college campus, if you are offended by a lecture because you do not like it, there is a place that has been provided for you where you can go and listen to comforting music, play with Play-Doh, and sit in beanbag chairs until your emotions get subsided. This is at Brown University, an Ivy League school. This is not like made up. This is legitimate. Right? So if there's a lecture, or if someone is saying something to you that is different than your opinion, and your feelings may be hurt, there is a safe place for you to go so you do not have to engage in this 
activity. Okay? Now, there's a second place of it. I mean, I, I mean even he would say, come on, like, you, you have to be like emotionally sensitive to people. This isn't like someone castigating you for your sexual orientation or your race or your religion. This is just like, maybe abortion <clears throat> is not the best way. Let's have a debate on that. And like, people will be offended and be like, no, you're taking away my rights. Okay, I'm going to go play with Play-Doh. So this, is like, this is serious. This is not like made up. It's like any opinion that may go against your upheld view, you may be offended by it. So it's called a safe place. So they started to come up with things called trigger warnings. <clears throat> Literally outside of a lecture hall, there'll be a sign. It's almost like a rating. Like this lecture has motifs and understandings in it that may act as a trigger that will make you upset. So do not attend if you do not feel that you are able to. You guys are looking at me like I have five heads. It's because you're from a different generation. This is like all over public school right now. It's in high schools as well. I'm sure little kids as well. Like you have no, look, if you're not in education, you have no, you have no grid for how crazy this is. Okay? All right? And so, you know, this is, this is why I love the faces on here, you know, because what's being merged here is the old concept here is that we said that parents that are acting with the generation today, they're heli uh, helicopter parents, right? The parent that's always around, like, taking care of everything for their kid, and, you know, and, or are you really studying? Did you get your permission slip in? Blah, 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 like, always on top of you, like, ah. Well, the, these guys, these people, these social scientists are actually saying that there's a new type of parent that's out there now. It's called a lawnmower parent. Which is the parent that is not like up in your face, like, make, make sure you study. This is the parent that is like emailing the, 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 the teacher, like, why did my kid get a B? He studied for two hours. There's no reason why he should get a B if he studied for two hours. They are emailing. They are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Off the record, absolutely, right? So this is a parent that says, a lawnmower parent, mows down any obstacle for the child. They mow down the obstacles so the child has an easier... Now, why on earth would you do that? Now, it, it, makes, it, makes, it makes total sense because it's a good intention. You love your child and you want to do what's best for them. But sometimes when you, when you love them so much, you're actually not doing what's best. You're actually not doing what's best. You're enabling them. You're completely enabling them. Right? If your kid's seven years old and you're literally physically or metaf metaphorically wiping their butt still, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. You just enabled them. You coddled them for so long. It's well-intentioned. Like, you love them. You love them. You love them. But sometimes... Loving a kid is actually not necessarily loving them, it's loving yourself. And wanting to receive their love to fill something inside of you. Now fine, you know, we throw this out there. <clears throat> and um, all this, you were saying, leads to weak character. It does not produce resiliency to difficulty. And many, many of us who are older, or have older souls... We make fun of this. 
Like, we make fun of this stuff all the time. I mean, like, it's lovely, like, seeing your grins and, like, you're like, ah, I love it. We love doing this. But then, you know, the Lord, he's just like, pa-pa. He's like, but do you look to me to be your lawnmower parent? And I was just like, oh. Oh. You're making fun of parents that are doing that for their kids. And you see how wrong it is. But do you, David, look to me as your heavenly father to be your lawnmower parent, to mow down every difficulty that you have? And I was like, yes, of course. And he's like, oh, maybe there's a, a relationship here. And like my brain just started to like go into overload and it was like, holy cow. Could it actually be that the difficulties that we go through may actually be a, a position of learning how to be more resilient spiritually? How, oh, come on, any difficulty comes, we want to pray it away, we pray it away, we pray it away, because that's our natural response, but sometimes things don't go away. Sometimes they're there. I thought the Lord was just saying, man, this is the lessons of the winds and the waves. That when the, winds and, when the winds and the waves come, you don't just always have to pray them away, but can you, when the winds and waves come, can you still be sleeping in the boat? And the only way to be sleeping in the boat is if I don't mow down every obstacle for you, but you learn how to interact with that obstacle and it's okay. Where is that in the church? Not too often. Here's a phenomenal quote. <clears throat> That is said, it says uh, in, in the book, <clears throat> wind extinguishes a candle and energizes a fire. Likewise, with randomness, uncertainty, chaos, you want to use them, not hide from them. You want to be fire and wish for the wind. Here's the thing, like if you take it outside of spiritual principles, if you're training up a weak, wimpy little kid, and you take care of him all the time, and you do everything for him, they're a candle, man. They're a flickering little flame. And all it takes is for a mouse to fart and the wind is going and, and it's going to, the candle's going to go away. Yeah, you heard me right. A little. And their soul is extinguished. There's nothing to them. But if you've got a fire burning inside of you, the difficulties of life, what does it do? It doesn't squash the flame, it feeds the flame. This is someone who's going through adversity, going through difficulty. They don't fall on their knees crying and, and oh my gosh, what's going to happen? <clears throat> Although there's a time and a place to fall on your knees and reach out and pray to the Lord. But it is a person when the fire and the, and the difficulties, or rather the winds of difficulty come, they can say, oh, praise the Lord, James chapter 1, right? Glory in all trial and tribulation, knowing that the testing of your faith shall produce patience, that you be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. You're like, bring on the wind. Bring on the difficulty because it's not going to phase me. Because the difficulty, the winds, will energize the Holy Ghost inside of me. Because it's going to mold me. It's going to sanctify me. It's going to turn me into a greater image of Him. It's a completely different way of thinking of, Lord, just take this away from me. I'm not saying you don't pray that way. It's important to pray that way. And the Lord wants to take things away from you. But notice that Jesus' first response is not taking away the winds of the waves. His first response is he's not even paying attention to it because he's such a fire. 
that he's able to sleep through that experience. And I believe that's the calling that we have. This is why Peter, Paul, and James are not kvetching, are not complaining about the most idiotic, mediocre things that we complain about. They have no cause to complain about those things because they are a fire. And they're in jail for the preaching of the gospel. And they glory and relish in that fact. I get mad when my, when my Netflix account isn't working. Right? I get upset and depressed when I have a cold. Paul the Apostle is encouraged and is on fire that the whole jail knows that I'm in this cell because of the name of Jesus. That's the difference between a candle being extinguished through a mouse fart and the power of fire that's being energized. Woo! You get what I'm saying? So the title of the sermon, and if you ever come back to it, is this. Be fire and wish for the wind. Be a Holy Ghost fire. And when the winds and the waves of the world and the life come to you, it's not going to extinguish you. It's going to empower you and mold you to be sanctified and molded into the image of Jesus. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Now, it's so hard when you're going through it, and I get it, and there's a time and a place to pray things away. Paul prays things away. Jesus prays things away. James prays things away. There is, but it's a, it's a perspective thing, right? It's, it's truly a perspective thing. Woo! Holy Ghost fire. <clears throat> so let's take a look. For, for example, like 1 Peter 5.10. This is Peter. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. After you have suffered for a while. Perfect. Establish. Strengthen. And settle you. So what? May Jesus the eternal glory. May he strengthen you after you have suffered for a while. What? I got to suffer for a little bit first? Sometimes. Look, this is such an important message. Because it's taking adversity and using it for the glory of Jesus. What time is it? I just, I just like, I'm just like rolling here. I'm just... Look, your spiritual ancestors knew what it was like to suffer, man. We read Isaiah 53 during worship. That's suffering. That's like real, true, hardcore, legitimate suffering. Like your face is unrecognizable, Jesus, because you've been beaten up so bad. <coughs> the church fathers, Peter, Paul, James, they all knew what it was like to suffer. Even in more modern times, some of the great, great writers, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all Christians who wrote amazing, amazing sagas and ethics of what it was like to suffer. I'm not saying we should like be wishing for suffering, per se. But there's something weird has happened, man. We have been so afraid of suffering that we've pushed away any kind of redemptive value of it. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. Underearned suffering is redemptive. Now, if you kill a guy, you're in your jail. I don't know how redemptive your suffering in jail is. You did it. But if you re receive suffering for something that you did not cause yourself to do... It is redemptive. It changes you. It transforms you. It molds you into something better. 
This is how he's going to empower a whole generation of young kids to risk their lives. It's going to transform you, man. So what we have here is this, a perspective change, right? <clears throat> I thought it was kind of funny, right? A guy, he's on a little island in the South Pacific. He's screaming, oh, a boat, yes, a boat, a boat. And the other guy is like, oh, yes, land, land. Like they're both, well, I guess they're going to be both better off, right? They're going to be, <clears throat> have a friend now. But what we have here is, right, it's like a perspective thing, right? It's a, an issue of when you're going through a hard time, what's your perspective? Does this stuff make sense? Because I was on DayQuil when I wrote this message. <laughs> you guys got to loosen up. Man, a mouse fart joke. You don't even crack a smile. Make a day, DayQuil, not NightQuil. DayQuil. DayQuil doesn't have all that stuff in it. It's a joke. Oh. Okay. It's getting a little hot. Is it getting hot in here? I'm getting hot. Right, let me lower. You're cold? Yeah. Come sit over here. Okay. i roll up my sleeves more. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> All right, so a perspective change. Uh, I came across this very interesting uh, rabbinical story. There's a bunch of rabbis sitting around talking. I'm talking about the nature of God and nature of man. The one rabbi says to the other rabbis, it's not a joke, it's actually like a, a story. It's actually a deep story. He says, God is a being. And he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient. So for those of you that are not like theology students, it's this. God is a being, he is everywhere, he is all-powerful, and He's all-knowing. Amen? God is everywhere. He's all-powerful, and He's all-knowing. It's like, whoa. And all the rabbis are like, yeah, you're right. So the one rabbi gets like kind of, you know, I wish I had a beer, but he kind of turns his beer, and he's like, yes, but there's one thing that God lacks. And all, all the other rabbis, you, you hear like all the, like the, the, the Christian theology students that care and freaking out. What? God lacks something? He's everywhere. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. How can he lack anything? And the rabbi says, well, if he has all that, the one thing he lacks is limitation. He has no limits. He has no limits. The one thing he lacks is his limitation. If he's everywhere, and he's all-knowing, and he always was and always will be. There are no limitations to God. And now this is the beautiful story of man. You have limitations. God does not have limitations. You have limitations. And it's in your limitations that there's suffering. And it's in your limitations that there's difficulties. Uh, here's a great quote by a guy by the name of Dr. Jordan Peterson. If you are already everything, everywhere, always, there is nowhere to go and nothing to be. Everything that could be already is, and everything that could happen already has. This is a reason for man. No limitation, no story, 
No story, no being. Look, guys, we, we have to have a, a different view of things. Part of the beauty of being mankind is that you are not complete yet. Can you imagine for a moment if you were complete right now? You would have an amazingly boring life. It would be so boring. It would be so dread. There would be no way of becoming better. You would have no story. <clears throat> this is one of the reasons for man. We can have the uh, worship team come down. We're not going to show that video actually, Sharon. Uh, it's an issue of sanctification. I had a video that was going to explain these three different types of sanctification, but I think I might lose you if I do it right now. <clears throat> to be sanctified is to be made holy. Okay? <clears throat> and this is how it's all going to hopefully come together. The coddling of the American mind, anti-fragile, the winds and the waves, your story, perspective is this. There's something called positional sanctification. What that is, is when you declare the name of Jesus and you confess it in your heart, you believe that he died for you, you are sanctified positionally, meaning you are justified before God now. You have been made holy. Right? Righteous before God. You are justified. It's called positional sanctification. You are now set apart for God into heavenly places and you're saved. Boom. <clears throat> There's a, another type called complete sanctification. That is what we call the hope of glory. That is when we get our new bodies, we are made so holy that we are now true, true new beings. A new, a, a new, a new, when there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, there's a new body. It's called complete sanctification when we're in before the Lord. <clears throat> so what we have here is positional sanctification, when you come to faith and you're now made holy and sanctified by God, and then in the age to come, you have complete sanctification when you receive a whole new being in His presence. But there's a third piece of sanctification, which I believe is so important. I'm going to be honest, I forgot about it. And when I forgot about it, I'm telling you, my life began to have less meaning, less meaning, less meaning, less meaning, until finally I was blah. It is this. You guys can start playing if you like. It's called progressive sanctification. And this is the notion that you get to be molded into the image of Christ. I am telling you right now, your life, your story has no meaning if you do not put that in the forefront of your mind and your face. That daily, daily, as 2 Corinthians, says, 2 Corinthians says, be renewed daily. You are sanctified by Christ, but things happen, man. You get filled up with the Spirit of God, but it's like a bucket with holes in it. And sometimes the Spirit just starts to leak out a little bit, and you get a little bit angst, and you get a little heavy, and you're like, where did it all go, Lord? 
This is why Paul the Apostle says, daily be renewed, renewed in your mind, renewed in your spirit, because each and every day we are called to be sanctified progressively into the image of Messiah. And I'm telling you, if you got a little angst in your life, if you lost a little, a little hop in your step, it's because you're too satisfied. You're too satisfied with positional sanctification. I've been saved. But if all there is is that, if all there is is that, you have no story. If you have no story, you have no meaning. If you have no meaning, you have no being. you got to get your story again. And today I am this, but tomorrow I will be renewed even more into the image of my Messiah. And that's going to get you up in the morning, man. And even if the bills aren't paid, and even if you got a disease, and even if relationships are being broken, you can say, I'm looking at my suffering, and I know the winds or waves are here, so I can be transformed into the image of Jesus that can sleep in the hull of the boat no matter what is going on. you got to get meaning. And your meaning is being transformed and renewed into the image of Jesus, the Son of God. Right. Woo! Here's the problem. The cave you fear, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. I want to say this again. This is going to, this is going to change your life if you receive it. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. Everyone here wants to be, be, be something, right? You, you want something more, or you want to be a better person, or you might want to have better character, or you might want to be more transformed. You may want to just, you just really, really want to let go of that sin, right? That thing that's around your neck, that little thing that's holding you back. But I'm telling you, the only way to get that treasure is you got to stare down the fear. you got to stand, stare down the cave and you got to go into the depths of the cave and say, I will not allow this to bring fear onto my life anymore. If you want to be transformed into the image of Jesus, I'm telling you, you have to have face to face. you got to come face to face with trial, tribulation, and suffering. Because I'm telling you right now, if you got an addiction... That's a dark cave. And you got to go face to face with that thing and say, behind that wall lies the treasure that I seek and being renewed into the image of Jesus. If you struggle with pornography, if you struggle with alcohol, if you struggle with negative thoughts, there is a cave that is so dark and is so fearful that most people are not willing to walk into it. Because in that place, you have to come face to face. In that place, you have to suffer and have some difficulties. Come on. Anyone ever deal with a sin? And you deal with a sin man to man, face to face. Man, there's a wrestling match going on. It's a dark, deep cave that is so scary. No, am I the only one? All right, I'm the only one again. Come on, man. Like, if you're, if you're serious with Jesus, and you're like, I want to be molded into your image. Lord, show me. My presumptuous sins, as King David says. Man, when those presumptuous sins come to you, it is so dark. You're like, holy cow, that's who I really am? And Jesus says, no, it's not who you really are. Who you really are is on the other side of it. 
but you got to get in the cave. And you got to face the you got to face the darkness to receive the treasure. And what's the treasure? Being molded into the image and into the likeness of Jesus. That's the treasure. And I'm telling you from experience. If you don't have passion in your life, if you can't write a love song to Jesus right now, it's because you forgot the meaning of it all. And the meaning is not once saved, always saved. The meaning is I was saved and justified, but each and every moment I'm going to become a better version of myself by the grace and the Spirit of God. So each day I can progressively be formed in the image of Messiah so people will come to the brightness of your arising and nations will come unto you and say, I know that God is with you. Like Brian did. Like Brian did this week. So, be fire and wish for the wind. Because when the winds come, you get to learn. You get to learn how to be transformed into the image of Jesus. You get to learn what it's like to have so much peace and to have so much treasure in your lap that you can sit in a hole of a boat on Galilee and sleep and be calm. And you'll be able to do that through anything life comes. Whatever life brings to you, a breakup, a disease, an ailment, a difficulty, a finance, you can just be like, I'm being molded right now into the image of Jesus. Amen? All right, why don't we stand? Jesus, we want to be molded into your image. And Father, I pray right now that those people who have been afraid for too long to walk down into the depths of the cave, that you release them right now. That they would be willing to go into the cave of their struggle, the cave of their difficulty, and say, it's worth it because I want the treasure. And the treasure is to be molded into the image of Jesus. And it's okay because King David says, I, I make my, my bed in the, in the bottom of Sheol. I make my bed in the bottom of darkness. But you're there. You're there, King Jesus. You're there, Spirit of God. Father, right now, I just pray a release. A release of meaning in our lives. If life has gotten dull, let the winds come and bring some life again. Oh, I gotta wake up tomorrow and I gotta go to work and I gotta grade papers and I gotta do the accounting and I gotta do this, that, and the other thing. Lord, I pray for meaning right now to drop. Meaning right now, drop, drop. Holy Ghost, just drop meaning into our lives. The meaning of being progressively set apart, made holy, molded into the image of Messiah. What a journey! What a glorious journey and adventure! To be molded into the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. To be molded into the spotless Lamb of God. What a journey. What a treasure. What a beauty. So Lord, let us embrace. Let us embrace the winds and the waves. 
So the fire of the Holy Ghost burns brighter in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, if you have been afraid, it's okay, man, I've been afraid lots of times. If you have been afraid to go into the cave, the cave of the unknown, the cave of change, meaning that sin, that thing in my life is too difficult for me, I'm just going to forget about it. I need you to come down. We need to pray for you. Because you can't forget about it. Because behind that sin, there's a treasure. So I just invite you right now, if you need prayer for that, you've been afraid to confront. You've been afraid of the winds and the waves. Come on now, we're going to pray for you. Pray for you to be able to confront the winds and the waves of life.